Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Write thank you notes. Tell the truth all the time. These motivating thoughts from Randy Pausch's last lecture remind each of us to live our dreams. Be creative every day. Take a fun trip. Motivation. Pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. Do you like to meditate? Have you tried to meditate? Have you struggled with meditation? Why don't you visit one of the Brahma Kumaris Meditation Center? Visit brahmakumaris.org. Hello and welcome to America Meditating Radio Show. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. We're broadcasting from the beautiful Meditation Museum in downtown Silver Spring, where the moment you walk into the door, there's a whole new world waiting for you. We're looking forward to interviewing one of our very special guests. I'll keep it a secret so that you can stay on the line. And, of course, we celebrated our first year anniversary recently, and if you haven't heard that show, please go to our Pulse for Peace free app archive to get a moment of enjoying the revelry and just the beauty of the spirit of the people that was on. And also just our energy of light and love and how this show has shaped lives globally. We held a retreat a few weeks ago with some of our wonderful guests and it became a new movement of consciousness where we knew that we were in an environment of trust and an environment of beauty and that when we left that environment, the beauty would continue. And if we are able to create more and more spaces of beauty, not only in the soul, but definitely where from the soul it ripples out into the brain and into the cells of the body, we can actually create a world that will be much more sustainable. We actually can live towards a future that our kids and many more children to come could actually look forward to. There's always this question, is there really a future? Do we really have a future? We can dive into the bottom of the ocean, and many of us are still trying to look for the missing plane of Malaysian Flight 270, I believe. And we can go as far as to the moon and leave satellites up into the galaxy. But how far have you gone into yourself to know who you are, to understand the workings of your own mind, or the workings of your brain, and to perhaps learn more about who you are as a person. Are you able to break the habit of just being the old you? Have you lost yourself in the the repetitive cycle of being a same old person when life is continuously trying to get you into another mode? Well, Dr. Joe Dispenza is going to be on the air. That's a surprise. And he's going to be enlightening us with some of his wisdom. Before we get Dr. Joe on, why don't we go to our beautiful little sister Gita and hear what she has for us on the air and what your reading must be. Let's hear it. Good morning. I'm taking from the book Just a Moment by my good friend Garfield King. <laughs> and this book can be obtained at any Brahma Kumari Center, Meditation Museum, or Peace Village. 
So it says, look for the virtues in others. So let's start it. Today, I am going to experiment and make a genuine effort to see at least one virtue in every person with whom I come into contact. I know that no one is yet perfect, so why dwell on anyone's defect? If I actively search for goodness in others, it can be found. There is not a single human being in existence who does not possess at least one virtue. I will at least see that and look at each person with that particular virtue in mind. This has a great effect on your mind as well. If I am thinking about someone's weakness or defect, I may become uneasy and irritated. I feel annoyed and wonder, why does this person have to be this way? And why does this person do such and such a thing all the time? On the other hand, if I am thinking about someone's good qualities, I begin to feel lightness and easiness within my mind. Then I am influenced by the sweetness of that person. The world is a variety show, and the role of each one is different. Om Shanti. Have a day full of virtues. Seeing the virtues in each other. Thank you very much, Sister Geetha. That's beautiful. So why don't we take a little bit of time and go into our lone space of awareness by this beautiful song by Lucinda Drayton on her Bliss CD and hold those thoughts that you've just so beautifully shared with us. Breathe in, everyone. Relax.
that's one of my favorite tracks from the Bliss CD. Have you moved out into your lone space? It's a place where there aren't any interruptions of issues, the thoughts of another, unfulfilled expectations that you might be attached to. Moving out of the lone space to me feels like I've moved back to my truth and my power, the place where I can make changes happen if I want to. We are very happy on the AM show to welcome Dr. Joe Dispenza, the author of the best-selling book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself and How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One. And not you love that? Lose your mind, get a new one. <laughs> and How to Evolve Your Brain, the Science of Changing Your Mind, studied biochemistry at Rutgers University. He also holds a Bachelor of Science degree with an emphasis on neuroscience and earned his Doctor of Chiropractic from Life University in Georgia. He has received postgraduate training in continuing education in neurology, neuroscience, brain function, and chemistry, cellular biology, memory formation, and aging longevity. This is a brilliant person that we're going to have on the show shortly. Dr. Joe is one of the scientists, researchers, and teachers featured in the award-winning film, What the Bleep Do We Know?, and has lectured on six continents, educating people about the functions of the human brain. He has taught thousands, thousands, how to reprogram their thinking through scientifically proven principles. And his newest book, You Are the Placebo, will be released on April 29th, and we want the world to know about this latest book. Dr. Joe, welcome to the American Meditating Show. Thank you, sister. I'm happy to be with you. It seems that you are a very busy, busy soul. (laughs) Well, I just go where they invite me. When they stop inviting me, I know it's over. (laughs) There was a question I was going to ask you. How do you find time to think? You're so busy. (laughs) (laughs) Einstein said time and space are conditions... Not modes in which we think, but modes in which we live. So, And I totally believe Einstein because he's a Pisces like me, and I totally love my Pisces partners. Dr. Joe, what is it that has been inspiring you in particular to be exploring the functioning of the human brain? Because it's a complex topic, especially to me, related to spiritual concepts. How does the brain, um, what is the understanding that you have gained so far about the brain? That's one question. And secondly, can the brain be spiritual, or is spirituality or the spiritual separate from the brain? Homework. Wow. I think they're <laughs> great questions. <laughs> I think science is the contemporary language of mysticism now. I, I honestly believe that science is the language to explain the unexplainable, and, and spirituality is our closest model to really uh, a great uh, attempt at uh, uh, unifying principles that have to do with our own personal evolution. and. And if you take a little quantum physics and a little neuroscience and a little neuroendocrinology and you mix it with some epigenetics and chemical emotions, I think it's great information about you. And, and, you know, knowledge is uh, power, but knowledge about ourselves is self-empowerment. So I think that when you start even addressing the idea that somehow that you have some control over your destiny, that subjective mind has an effect on the objective world, then if we if we agree on those principles that that we create our destiny and we use mind to do that then we have to begin to look at what is mind and what is consciousness and what is the brain and and I think that the brain is you know the organ where there's the greatest number of neurons wired together and when you have the greatest number of neurons connected you have the most intelligence the highest ability to learn and the most uh, memory formation and so consciousness then moving through the brain 
produces different levels of mind and it's and it's only when we're conscious and when we are aware that we really really can can begin to change ourselves and begin to create the life that we want so i think that mm-hmm. uh, what ancient mystics have said for eons from so many different traditions is all the same thing and i think that we have to use scientific models now to help people to become unified because the moment we talk about mm-hmm. religion or culture or we talk about um, tradition, I think we divide audiences, and I think science is the unifier. Mm, very well said. Dr. Joe, you just made some very profound statements, and um, you mentioned mind a lot. Many people are confused about the mind. Is it a physical component, or is the mind a state of consciousness? Well, according to neuroscience, we use the definition of mind as the brain in action. It's what the brain does. So if you can think mm-hmm. about the idea that you can change your brain in some way, because of the concept of neuroplasticity, our brain is physically changed by every new thought we think, every new choice we make, every new behavior we demonstrate, every new experience that we create, and every new emotion that we feel. There are chemical and physical changes that take place in the brain. So uh, there's been so much research to show that we can change our brains. And, and so who's doing the changing of the brain? The, mind, the brain can't change the brain because the brain is just an organ, uh, like a mm-hmm. liver or a kidney. Uh, and the mind can't change the brain. According to neuroscience, mind is what the brain does. It's the brain in action. It's a function of neurological activity. So if who's doing the changing of the brain and the mind, and it's that 13-letter word called consciousness, it's that immaterial aspect of us, that's using the brain and body to produce different levels of mind. And consciousness is awareness, and awareness is paying attention and noticing. So only when we become more conscious and more aware, only when we begin to wake up from the dream do we have a greater level of execution over our physical mm-hmm. bodies and over the conditions in our environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that's interesting because at the same token in some spiritual traditions, there's a conversation about soul and matter. And soul is this consciousness that exists and the consciousness that exists called the soul is carrying a history, a history of experiences that it has endured either in one lifetime or many lifetimes. So the soul carries those impressions in Sanskrit they call it sanskaras. The vibrations of those sanskaras flow through the brain and through the cells of the body and wrapped around this whole story called the human being is this thing called attraction or or repulsion or you basically attract the state of consciousness that you're in. And you have written that our reality is created by beliefs and perceptions that are based on thoughts and feelings. I would love for you to share some more light on what that all means. Sure, I'd be happy to, Sister Jenna. I, if you think about it, most of our, our our thoughts and our feelings come from past memories. As a matter of fact, the brain is, for the most part, an artifact of the past. It's it's a it's a log of all the experiences and all the things that we've learned in one lifetime. And since experiences produce emotions, and emotions are the end product of experiences, then how we think and how we feel really is from our historical past. So if you take a series of thoughts that are connected to a series of feelings and you string them together, a thought and a feeling and a thought and a feeling and a thought and a feeling, that's called an attitude. So 
So if you have a series of good thoughts that are connected to a series of good feelings, you'd say, I have a pretty good attitude today. But if you have a series of negative thoughts that are connected to some pretty negative or bad feelings, you say, I have a pretty bad attitude. Now, how you think and how you feel creates what we call a state of being. Thoughts are the language of the brain, and feelings are the language of the body. And how you think and how you feel creates your state of being. So an attitude, then, is just a shortened state of being. And you can have a good attitude in the morning, you can have a bad attitude in the afternoon, and your attitudes can change pretty uh, pretty consistently within one day. But if you take a series of attitudes and you string an attitude and an attitude and an attitude together, now you're forming what's called a belief. Now, a belief is just a thought you keep thinking over and over again that begins to wire your brain into a hardwired pattern. And those thoughts then lead to the same choices that create the same behaviors that produce the same experiences. Then, for the most part, then, the way we feel about things, the boundaries of our beliefs is how we feel. So... If you think and feel a certain way over and over again, you condition your body to become the mind. And when the body becomes the mind, that's called the habit. So 95% of who we are by the time we're 35 years old is a set of memorized behaviors, emotional reactions, and subconscious programs that run just like a computer. So if, if a belief is an extended state of being, and how you think and how you feel conditions the body subconsciously, then most people's beliefs are subconscious states of being. They don't even know that they have beliefs about God or beliefs about spirituality or beliefs about money or beliefs about women or beliefs about race. It's a subconscious state of being because they've been programmed that way from their past, through their experiences. So then, in order for us to change a belief or a perception about ourself and our life, we have to make a decision with such firm intention that the amplitude of that decision carries a level of energy that's greater than the hardwired programs in your brain and the emotional addictions in your body. And your body has to be, be uh, inspired by a new mind. In other words, you have to feel it viscerally. Beliefs have to change on a visceral level. So when we change our beliefs then, we have to do it from a place of energy place of firm intention, of certainty, of empowerment, of invincibility, of, of strength, of justice, whatever that elevated emotion is, that begins to cause the body to respond to a new mind. And when that happens, then the brain and body in that moment are no longer living in the past. The brain and body are actually being defined by a vision of the future. And the body is the unconscious mind does not know the difference between an actual experience in your life that creates an emotion and an emotion that you can fabricate by thought alone. In that moment, mm -hmm. the body's getting a sampling of a future reality. And every great charismatic leader understood this, mm -hmm. whether it was Martin Luther King or Gandhi or William Wallace or Joan of Arc. They inspired people to have a vision of a future that was greater than their present reality. And right. so we have the same biological machinery to do that. And so changing beliefs then requires c coming out of our resting state. Mm-hmm. Well, interesting because in some spiritual context, um, I I'm actually hearing you and the languaging is so important. And what you I described to me what you actually described to me is there are two levels of consciousness that are existing. One is human body consciousness and the other is the soul, soul consciousness. And when we can rise above the human consciousness, we can shift awareness and perception. And I'm curious to find out, uh, you've got this new book coming up called You Are the Placebo, and congratulations on that, by the way. 
I would Thank love you. for you to tell our audience about what this book is about and is it about really evolving to a higher level of consciousness because it's needed something like this. Thank you. I, I, I wrote the book because uh, when we started doing a lot of our advanced workshops around the world, we started seeing people um, heal themselves by thought alone. And we started seeing people with MS and lupus and cancer and and uh, chronic pain and celiac disease and Hashimoto syndrome and even rare genetic disorders that medical science had no solution for literally change their state and they began to turn the battleship around and, 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 and they were really signaling new genes in new ways right during our meditations. And it caused me to start thinking about the placebo effect. I mean, why can we give someone a sugar pill or a saline injection or a sham surgery? And a certain percentage of those people will accept, believe, and surrender to the thought without analysis that that medication that's really not a medication or that procedure is going to heal them in some way. So what happens is that they began to uh, put their attention on a future reality and they began to emotionally embrace it, but they were using some external source in order to do that. They put their belief in something outside of them. So my question was, do you really need a sugar pill or a saline injection? Can you teach people how to move into elegant states of being without relying on anything outside of them and start believing in themselves and believing in the quantum field of potentials or universal consciousness or, 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 or universal mind, whatever you want to call that, and begin to emotionally embrace that unknown and continuously embrace it through an, a clear intention and elevated emotion that unknown became a known. And so if you can give someone, for example, and the three out of four people, it works for this, so you can give someone a, a, a placebo for a, that's a, supposed to be an antidepressant, and 75% of those people will actually accept, believe, and surrender that that medication is going to change them without even analyzing it. And 75% of them will get better. So you think, well, that's just the placebo response, but if you look at it on a deeper level, that person is believing in thought more than anything else. And the moment they do that, their body begins to make their own blend of chemicals that match the exact same chemicals of the drug that they thought they were taking. So we have our own pharmacy within us and that if you can teach people how to change their states of being, change their chemistry, they're wow. not doing it with their conscious mind. It's not like someone can say, hey, I'm going to change from depression or I'm going to you know, heal myself of arthritic conditions, they have to change it by going into the operating system, moving beyond the analytical mind. And and I learned in, the, in writing this book that you can teach people how to do it. And when you teach people how to get out of their own way and you teach them uh, the science of what's possible and they can assign meaning to what they're doing, they become more empowered. And when they become more empowered... Uh, we start seeing common people doing the uncommon. So I wrote the book really mm -hmm. to empower people with the idea that they're their own placebo and they don't have to be conditioned to such a degree that we have to rely on so many external things to create wellness and to make us feel whole that we come preloaded with all the biological and neurological machinery to do that with mm -hmm. ourselves. And just mm -hmm. teaching people how to do that is my passion. Mm -hmm. It's almost like what they call it, rollover karmas. You know, we come with these rollover karmic accounts from past lives, and basically the placebo effect, I feel, uh, invites individuals to be accountable in really shifting the way that things are unfolding for them. If it's not healthy, 
bring that vibration out of your physical system. Would you say that the placebo effect can help to unstuck folks in their life situations in which it's really not going well for them? Absolutely, because, I mean, if you think about everything outside of you, on some level, any every person, every person, every place, everything, every uh, experience in your life that happens in your external environment is reflected in your inner environment. So most people wait for their wealth to show up to feel abundant or they wait for their new relationship to feel love or they wait for their healing to feel whole and healthy or they, they wait for success to be empowered. You know, that's cause and effect. But the true model of reality is about causing an effect. So then when you begin to broadcast new electromagnetic signatures, you change your energy, and you begin to give thanks ahead of the actual experience, and you feel whole before your healing, you feel abundant before your wealth, you feel in love before your relationship, you feel empowered before your success. That's the, that's the exact formula that you're broadcasting to the universe. Like, I want to experiment with this. I want to try it out, and I want to begin to see if I can become the scientist in my own life and see if I change my energy, if it produces some effects in my external world. Now you're causing an effect, and that's when people really start to wake up and start to love their life again. Now, Dr. Dispenza, one of the most challenging things, and this unfortunately will have to be one of my last questions before you give me your favorite life quote and how our our listeners can get a hold of you, but here's my important question. Um, Many people the hardest aspect of what you've just shared is to actually take the first step in making that shift, that power within the self to actually take that first step. Do you have any advice for our listeners? What is that first step that they could take to begin to reverse that process or enhance their journey? Well, the hardest part about change, and we study change so much uh, in our in uh, with the research that we're doing, the hardest part about change is not making the same choice as you did the day before. And the greatest thing that people need to know about change is that it's going to feel uncomfortable the moment you're not thinking the same way, the moment you're not acting the same way, the moment you're not doing the same thing to create the same experiences. You're going to feel differently, and that that unknown, that unfamiliar place is a place that we have to become familiar with. We have to become comfortable in that because in that place of the unknown is the perfect place to create from. We can't create from the known. We have to create from the unknown. So if you woke up every morning and you just reviewed the things that you weren't going to do, the thoughts you weren't going to think, and the feelings that you weren't going to allow to slip by your awareness, and then you decided what thoughts you did want to put your attention behind, you rehearsed the behaviors you were going to demonstrate, and you began to create elevated emotions to give your body a taste of the future, and you got up from your meditation every single day feeling differently, there's a good probability that something unusual would happen in your life. Hmm. So really you've got to get used to that feeling of the change, that once it starts to feel different, that's a good thing. Anything different is good. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Finally, I'm changing. Good. Well, Dr. Dispenza, we have loved hearing your wisdom, and I'm sure our listeners will be lighting up our text messages about what they've learned from this conversation. Um, If anyone wants to get a hold of you, get a hold of your new book, uh, how could they get a hold of that? And what's your favorite life quote that you're living by currently? 
so the book is on Amazon. It comes out on the 29th of, of um, April, next Monday. And you can get it on Amazon or you can get it on Barnes & Noble or we have it on our website. And in the book, there's also meditations and the how-to change process. So it's a it's got a lot of content and it's got a lot of how-tos and it shows some of the brain scans of what we've done with people when they've truly changed. So my favorite quote is, so a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. And I think that's a good formula for us to really follow. Well, that is very good. Dr. Dispenza, thank you so much for being on the AM Show. Continued success. Thank you so much, Sister Jenna, for everything that you're doing. Mm, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. We really can make a change, folks. We can do it. Uh, the doctor is proving it in scientific means. Now, we simply have to wake ourselves up and move into the motion of shifting consciousness and perhaps shifting shifting the way it functions in and through our body. You have been listening to America Meditating Radio Show, and we're always pleased that you actually take the time to join us and you're growing with us as we are growing with you. Don't forget to download our Pause for Peace app and stay tuned with upcoming very special shows and presenters. And remember, at the end of every show, we always remind you no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I think we're all here to love each other the same. All the best, everyone. Take care.